What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Random Redshirt Podcast. I am Zach, and with me, as always, is Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey, Zach. Hello, hello, everyone. Hopefully, everyone is doing great. Great to be here again on this beautiful day. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Now we've uh, we we've taken. I don't want to say a break, but we have uh, had a few other episodes we wanted to get in um, with. I guess you could say current uh, content. And uh, so we're coming back to Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are finishing out our four-part look at what I think is the best written and the best series in the entire franchise, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And so, Chris, on part four, of course, we are coming back and talking about season six and seven. We do hope you enjoyed part three of Star Trek Deep Space Nine with us as we looked at seasons four and five. And we also talked with Caitlin Hopkins the actress who played Kilana, the Vorta, in the season five episode, The Ship. And I know we both really enjoyed that uh, interview, Chris. We did. Absolutely, we did. And she plays the best Vorta, along with, with you know, I, I, Jeffrey Combs plays an awesome Vorta as well. I was going to say, uh, don't tell Jeffrey Combs yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, she, she was awesome, and we really loved interviewing her. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, I recommend you go back and check it out. Uh, it's part three, season five and uh, season four and five, excuse me, of Deep Space Nine, and it says in the title with actress Caitlin Hopkins, and we get a chance to talk to her about her time on Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and her, her career in general, and some of her business ventures and so forth, and even her teaching uh, down in Texas as a, uh, a college professor, so that's pretty awesome. That's right. Yeah, so Chris, we're jumping into season six and seven, and by looking at season six and seven, we are beginning to see, obviously, the heart and soul of the Dominion War happening across the quadrant uh, and even into the Gamma Quadrant, and we are also looking at the the quote-unquote winding down of the, of the series, right? And there's so much that's going on in season six and seven of D space nine, that it's really tough to capture everything in, in the, the, just the fraction of amount of time that we are um, spending here on this particular episode. So season six starts with an episode called a time to stand. That's a season six premiere. And yeah. basically Cisco and his, and, and a crew uh, take a captured gem Hadar ship behind enemy lines to attempt to cut off the supply of catch cell white which I know, Chris, we haven't done a, a huge focus on, you know, specific aspects of the Dominion and everything. Because, again, this is a wave top look at the show, right? Right. So, uh, Ketracel White, if you haven't watched East Space Nine, Ketracel White is this drug that the, that the Jem'Hadar are um, addicted to, but they're, they're addicted to it because... The, the the founders have genetically engineered them to need that Ketracel white drug in order to survive. Uh, and if they don't have it, then they die. Although there is an episode where Bashir and, and O'Brien are crash land and they come across these Jem'Hadar and one of, and, you know they want to come off the Ketracel white and all that. That's a, a bit of a outlier, but for the most part, the Jem'Hadar need that Ketracel white. Yeah, yeah. Not, not only they, do they need it, but they almost revere you know, the way they treat Ketrasol White and the, and the way the Vorta give the Geminar the Ketrasol White, they almost revere it, you know, like it's it's like a part of their, their culture almost. 
Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, in a sense, it is, right? And and really, the the Ketracel White is used as a control mechanism over the Jem'Hadar because that's what the, the Vorta, who are basically middle management, right, in the Dominion, right? They're the ones yeah. that are cloned if, if one of them dies, like Wayun, right? How many we get six or seven or eight Wayuns, you know, throughout the show? Because he's, he dies off, and then they just bring him back. Um, and the Vorta basically need that control over the Dominion because the Vorta aren't fighters. Like, they're they're that middle management, right? You know, they're that, they're that meme from Office Space where he's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that kind of guy. So they are um, middle management. Yeah, right. So it, it's it's really important and a really important piece for the for the Dominion as a whole for the the uh, the founders to control the Jem'Hadar through the Vorta. They need that catcher cell white, and so obviously cutting off the supply line for the catcher cell white is really big for Starfleet. Um, and so at this point, when we're jumping into season six now. The Federation is beat up. I mean, they are battling an enemy that is relentless, right? I mean, you're talking about the Jem'Hadar, who they believe to die in battle is glorious and victory is life. Um, you know, in, in a way, they're they're kind of similar to Klingons a little bit. They don't have the whole Stovacore, you know, uh, afterlife that the Klingons believe in, but the Jem'Hadar do believe that it's all about fighting. It's about winning, and you know, if they die in battle, then there's no other, there's no better glory than to die serving the founders and all this. And you know, a lot of this like cult-like mantra, right? Yeah, it is, and it's it's their it's their instincts, essentially. Yeah, to fight. Yeah, I mean, the Jem'Hadar were genetically engineered and bred to be super soldiers, right? These super fighting machines. Uh, that that are that are the that are the cannon fodder of the of the founder for the, for the founders I should say for the changelings, um, and so you have this relentless battle going on. You see episodes where the Gem Hadar will literally kamikaze their ships into Federation ships in order to beat them. Um, it's it's rough. The Federation's losing a lot of people, a lot of ships, and that's not just Starfleet. I mean, that's not just uh, Starfleet. Um, you know, there's 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 allies who are too. The Klingons are are in alliance at this point with the yeah. Federation, and they're helping to fight. Uh, we're gonna get to another episode later as we talk about uh, season six um, that deals with the Romulans and them joining the fight. Uh, but the Bajoran sector has become particularly dangerous. Yeah, uh, especially because the Cardassians, who have now aligned themselves with the Jem'Hadar to kind of bring themselves to the forefront. Led, led, of course, by Goldicott, they have, at this point in, in Season 6, they have reclaimed D-Space-9, which they have renamed it Terok Norrigan because that's what it was called under the uh, Cardassian occupation. And so a lot is going on. I mean, there is so much happening as we, we, we go from Season 5 and move into Season 6, Chris, that um, there's, just, there's just too many details to really cover uh, in one episode. Um, but... You know, if you look from top to bottom of season six, you could argue that season six is the best season in the entire series. Mm -hmm. um, just from some of the episodes that stood out to me as I was going through and just taking some notes. Um, so I don't know about you, Chris, but are there are there some particular episodes in this season that stood out to you? And of course, when we get to the end of this episode, we'll do kind of our final overall assessment of the series. We'll we'll give our highlights. 
We'll do our rating, of course, and, um, you know, just kind of our overall thoughts. And there may be, you know, I'm curious, Chris, if, if you know, at the end of this of our episode here, um, what season of D Space Nine you actually think might be the best through the whole series. But uh, let, let's get into season six. What, what are some episodes that stood out to you and things that that uh, that you enjoyed up to this point? Well, I know in, in season six, we have the awesome event where Worf and Dax get married, which was really, really great. Um, and that, I believe that episode name was called You're Cordially Invited, if I got that right. I believe yep. that. Yep. And I remember the, the lead up to that, which was kind of comical, but I remember Dax, uh, Dax having to prove essentially kind of her, her worth or worthiness to um, Sorella. And so that was an, um, an elder uh, Klingon uh, lady that was married to Martok, so Martok's wife. And so I remember Sorella putting Dax through the ringer, completely through the ringer and all that frustration that, that Dax, Dax had uh, through that process. So I remember that being pretty funny. Um, I got a good kick out of that. But that was a, a terrific episode. I thought both Worf and Dax looked excellent. They, they look really, really good. And that was just a, a, a nice, fun episode to see them, you know, get married in a Klingon tradi- tradition um, and then get together. So that was a great one. Yeah, there, uh, in- interesting little fact here, Chris. Um, that several years ago, I don't remember what year it was. I don't, I don't think I was at this convention. But several years ago, there was a convention where um, Terry Farrell – uh, reenacted or not reenacted, but uh, became Dax again. Like Michael Westmore, the 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 Academy Award winning uh, makeup artist, was there, and he actually on stage as they were talking, went through and put her her trill spots on her, and then she got in the actual costume she wore in this episode. Her 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 Klingon wedding uh, dress. She actually put that back on for the first time since she filmed that episode and became Dax on the day of her wedding at the Star Trek convention in Vegas. Oh, nice. Yeah. If you, if, if, for those of you listening, if you go Google that, there are pictures out there of it and it, I wasn't there unfortunately, but it looked absolutely incredible. And one of those kind of once in a lifetime events to be a part of. Nice. Nice. I did have a, a one-off episode that I remembered that I really liked. I, I don't think this episode is really tied into uh, the main story arc of DS9, but if you remember the episode, Who Mourns for Morn? You remember Morn, the, the character in Quark's Bar and he never talks? Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I thought that was a very, very funny episode. And so we thought we, I think that the episode is about, we believe Morn is dead and, and, people are after his assets essentially so that he's dead and he's after the assets. And then that sets Quark off into, you know, some hijinks and trying to figure that out. And, and at the end you realize um, Morn appears again. So Morn's alive and Quark kind of realizes that realizes that, but Quark still, or excuse me, Morn still, he never, he never talks. Quark, Quark is about to say, Hey, like, um, you know, what happened? And Morn is about to talk and then Quark stops him to, and explains, you know, what happens to Morn. And then Morn kind of nods his head and Morn, um, I think they're looking for Morn's money and his assets. And you realize that he's been, <laughs> he, 
ingested, I think, all of his latinum, all of his assets, and had been carrying that around in his second stomach. So, so he, he regurgitated that uh, at the end of the episode and gave some to Quark. So that was Quark's re reward, I believe. So funny episode, a nice standalone episode for Morn, especially like gifted for, for Morn. I like that, those standalone episodes of, that, that are there. Very funny. Yeah, it was all about Morn, but Morn wasn't in the episode for most of the time. Yes. You right. are you are right though, Chris. That was a really good episode. Um the whole thing where at the very end he spits up some of the liquid latinum out of his second stomach into the cup and gives it to Quark as a way of saying thank you for dealing with it. Yes. Because in a sense, Morn did it to try to get all these people off his back. I mean, I guess he had some debts to repay. And Quark had to kind of figure out how to repay them. He was so angry because he thought Morn would have a bunch of stuff and then Come to find out, Morn had nothing other than like what you said—the stuff he ingested. So, yes, you know you're you're right. Though, like in season six, just thinking about the Federation, the Federation is like they are beat up by now in season yeah. of DS Nine. I mean, this is after I believe they've they've already had their conflict and their brief war with the Klingons. Right? They've already like fought them a bunch, and now the Klingons are allies. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, they they've they've had their their back and forth with the Klingons for sure, and 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 even dealing with some of the changeling stuff in season five, right? Season four and five, where the changelings infiltrate Starfleet headquarters and and everything on Earth. So yeah. oh, that was re that was really what made things very real for the president of the United Federation of Planets and for Starfleet in general. Yeah, they are beat up, and I believe they're losing, and they're concerned. Big. You know, very, very much concerned. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so they season six is where they do the retake of DS9, I believe. Right. And so there's a joint a joint task force. It's like a very, very bold, bold move and a bold task force conceived, I believe, from Captain Cisco, you know, convincing Starfleet to go retake DS9. And so we see that, don't we? I think we see that. Is that near the beginning of season six? Uh, yes, it is fairly early on, I believe, um, in season six. I don't remember the specific episode number, but that, yeah, you're right, Chris. It's an important episode because like the episode, the episode name says, Favor the Bold, right? Where, you know, that's significant because you have – you have Cisco and the Federation and everything kicked off the station because the Cardassians and the, and the Dominion are controlling the station. and you. But yet you still have people like Kira and Odo who are essentially Bajoran – well, Kira is, but Odo is essentially considered part of the Bajoran security. Yeah. Um, and Rom and, and, and others that are not the Federation still on the station. So people like Kira and Quark and Odo and Rom are devising schemes – to try to sabotage things so that they, they're trying to do as much as they can quietly behind enemy lines, so to speak, while the Federation tries to mount some type of a, of a return. And also how awkward, really, what an awkward situation for Akira and Odo and Raman Quark, totally. Yeah, I mean, think about it, right? So, so Kira has to see Goldacott every day because she's considered part of the staff or whatever. Because the Cardassians are trying to act like they're playing nice with the Bajorans and they want to be all chummy chum with them and everything. Meanwhile, Kira knows full well, like, I mean, obviously she can't stand them because of occupation and she can't stand Goldacott. 
And so that's a that's a that's an interesting interplay, uh, you know, in that episode. Actually, yeah, it was. It, and I I might be getting the seasons wrong, and correct me if I'm wrong. But but if I remember, there's this interplay between Gold Ducat and Kira, and uh, Gold Ducat is giving Kira a lot of gifts. And I think at, at one point, Gold Ducat right gives Kira a dress, and she is. You see this kind of reaction on her. I think at one point she's almost like happy that she got this gift and then, and then she realizes what's come over her and then she, she switches. So, so it was kind of, kind of interesting and man, gold, gold Ducat is just very, he's very, very well played. I mean, he, yeah, he, he definitely tries to get people on his side, you know, using whatever kind of devious means that he possibly can. Um, and maybe maybe I shouldn't say devious because he always believes he's doing the right thing. I mean, he's he believes he's being nice in his own yeah twisted kind of way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know you look at Goldicott and go, man, he's pure evil, right? But is he really pure evil? Because from his point of view, and and even Mark Alamo, who played him at conventions, has said Goldicott doesn't think he's pure evil. He 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 fully believes that what he's doing is justified, right? That what he's doing is the right thing for his people or what he's what he's doing or what the Cardassians are doing are the right thing for the Bajorans or the right thing for the Federation. You know, there's always there's always something behind it. Right. And so I think that's really interesting. And Marco Limo, I mean, I'm telling you, he played Goldicott so incredible. It's I mean, that character is so well written and so well played. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think in season six too, we see, if I if I'm remembering it correctly, we see Quark and Odo even kind of get closer in their relationship, and I, I think they go on a, uh, they're either on a mission or a journey, and they get stuck or they crash on a yeah they crash yep they crash on a planet, and so um, then they I, I remember they've got to carry up a beacon to a high point on the planet so that they can get rescued. And I think they get, you know, their relationship gets, gets very, very, very much closer than it was. Cause it was always very, very antagonistic. Uh, and now they've got to work together. They got to, they, they've got to help each other out uh, in order to get rescued. So that was a neat episode relationship wise uh, to see them, you know, better the relationship get closer. Cause at the, at the end, when you go back to one of the last episodes in season seven, and it's this like final, final exchange or final, um, some language that Quark says, like, I think Quark asks, you know, what did Odo say about me? And I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna remember the words quite right, but Quark is kind of moved by these simple, simple words that Odo had said, you know, going, oh, yeah. Yeah, he Odo really likes me. So, yeah, and then it was nice to see that that episode and the ascent. I think is the name of that episode. Yeah. Yep. Nice, nice. Yeah. How about you? Any nice, important episodes that that stand out to you from season six? Uh, for sure. Um, season six, like I said at the beginning, I think. Um, you could argue is the best season of the entire series uh, just based on some of the episodes that fall. Um, 
I know one in particular, Chris, and and I'm sure you you remember this episode because I know you're a big fan of the Ferengi episodes. Yeah. But the magnificent Ferengi, I think personally, it's my favorite Ferengi episode in the entire series. And actually, it might actually be my favorite Ferengi episode in the entire franchise. The magnificent Ferengi. It is just, it's whimsical, it's fun, it's just so well done. And basically, uh, it's uh, Quark learns that his Moogie has been stolen and captured by the Dominion, and she's being held. And so Quark and Rom basically come to an agreement of sorts that hey, they they got to go rescue her, right? They got to go rescue her, but how are they gonna how are they gonna go rescue her? They're not they're not warriors, right? They're they're Ferengi. <laughs> Ferengi yeah. aren't warriors, right? They're they're about profit and everything. They're not known for their 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 warrior ethos. Um, and so you get a group that's kind of trained by Nog, because at this point Nog's in Starfleet, um, and you, or he, well, he's he, he was a cadet at Starfleet Academy, first Ferengi ever, by the way, and then um, does get a battlefield commission uh, because of the war. So you get Rom, Quark, and Nog. They're leading a rescue mission to get their Moogie, but they bring in a ragtag group of Ferengi. To go get her, uh, and I don't remember all the characters' names. I know that the uh, I believe Cork's cousin, um, cousin Gala, who is the weapons seller yeah. uh, that they team up with, he comes. They bring in another another uh, um, Ferengi, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's like this. He's like a really weird Ferengi because he's kind of a a, a gun for hire. Like he'll go kill somebody, you know, if you pay him or whatever. It's not the traditional Ferengi. He doesn't care about profit. He only cares about, you know. Uh, uh, killing people and all this stuff and hurting people. It's not the normal Ferengi. And so they devised this plan to meet at a different location. I believe they meet on um, another old Cardassian abandoned mining station, similar to Deep Space Nine, I believe. Um, and it, you get a guy by the name of Iggy Pop, who makes his only Star Trek appearance as a Vorta. Now, Iggy Pop apparently is a famous uh, musician. I don't know much about him, but a lot of people know him. Um, and it's this really comical episode, you know, where they go to make this prisoner exchange with this captured Vorta that uh, the Federation had. They, they, they agree to get Cisco to release him and everything to make the exchange. And they accidentally kill him in the process before they make the exchange. So they have to, like, so, so uh, Rom... Or, uh, like rigs up this electrical thing to make his body move, even though he's dead, and it kind of reminds me of Weekend at Bernie's. That's what um, hey, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember this episode, Chris? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Lek is the name of the. Um, he's an Eliminator. Yeah, yeah. that's it. See, I knew you'd remember it because I know how much you love the Ferengi episodes, <laughs> and I love them too. So, it's isn't it a great episode though? It's just so well done. I love that episode. It's hilarious. It's funny, and you gotta love you gotta love those Ferengi. They add so much color and humor. Yeah, and you have you have Nog, right, who's this battlefield-commissioned ensign, and he's taking everything seriously and trying to tr train these Ferengi on tactics and everything, and none of them are taking it seriously. Oh, yeah, Liquidator Brunt, I believe, also is part of the group. Oh, well, he's an ex-Liquidator at this point. <laughs> I believe he joins the group because I believe he's the one that has the ship that they use. Yeah. It's all coming back to me. It's been a while since I've seen this episode, but it's so good. Anyways, I don't want to... 
spending, I mean, could spend an entire episode just talking about the magnificent Ferengi. Um, but what a fantastic episode. It really is. It was. Um, a couple other ones that stand out to me, two in particular. Uh, let me start out with the, the first one here um, is arguably the best and perhaps even the most popular episode of the entire DS9 series. You can make an argument for Trials and Tribulations that where they go back to the Toss episode. But this is the one where Cisco makes the long narrative about how, you know, in the computer and he's talking, he says, you know, so I lied, so I cheated, so I bribed, blah, blah, you know, and, and you know what? I'm glad I did it. If I could do it all over again, I would, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of this is, is he gets Garrick to help him make this fake rigged data rod that makes it look as though the Romulans or there was some secret meeting between I think it's the the Dominion and the Cardassians, maybe where they're gonna plan an attack on the Romulan homeworld. And if they 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 know if they do this and they get the Romulans to believe it's real, that the Romulans will jump into the war because they know they need the Romulans because they're getting beat up, like we said, right? Yeah. So they make this fake data rod, this Romulan shows up, he reviews it. And this is where the famous Star Trek meme comes in where he's like, it's a fake, you know. Um, but Garrick ends up rigging this Romulan ship to blow up before he can take the news back to Romulus. And so the, they make it appear as though the Dominions planted a bomb. And this is what ultimately launches the Romulans into the war on the, the quote unquote good guy side. So this is a really, really popular episode. Um arguably the most popular in the series and i think a lot of it has to do with cisco's tactics in it how he goes rogue from the federation in the sense that he doesn't he goes against everything the federation stands for in order to make this happen right because he knows how important it is to get the romulans in the war he literally does everything possible and he's okay with it he says he can live with it because he knows how important it was in order to save lives yeah very, very fantastic episode. The other episode that really stood out to me in season six is Far Beyond the Stars. This is a really powerful episode. It's a really important episode. And in my opinion, it might be the best performance that Avery Brooks does in the entire series. Um, Far Beyond the Stars basically is this look back. Uh, Cisco is having this kind of dream that he is Benny this writer, I think it's in the 1920s or something like that. I want to say it's in San Francisco, maybe. And he's a part of this uh, uh, paper or magazine, yeah. right? Yep. And they write these, these fiction stories, a lot of science fiction stories. And he's the only African-American writer there. And he writes – he's writing this story about this space station and everything that sounds very familiar to the, his actual real life outside of this coma or whatever he was in. I can't remember off the top of my head. And anyways – and every, every one of the main crew members is in there, only they're all human, right? Even Goldacott, played by Mark Alimo, is in this. He's human. He's one of the racist police officer, officers in, yeah. uh, in it. Um, Jeffrey Combs, who plays Wayun, is in it. 
as uh, as human, obviously, and then and, and they're racist. So the whole thing is dealing with e- equality and racism. And there's a scene in it that is so powerful and it's so emotional and moving where they basically say like, you know, he writes this amazing story and then the publisher says, hey, they're not going to publish it. Odo's – Rene Aubergenois plays Odo's like the head guy at the uh, in their area. The, the, the editor or whatever says we're not going to publish it. And he goes, you're not going to write it because I'm black and you know, blah, blah. And he has this huge meltdown and he says they're real. They're real, and he just melts on the floor and is bawling. So the story behind that is mm-hmm. Avery Brooks got into such deep character that they said after they cut, he was still on the floor sobbing uncontrollably, and they just let him go until he was done. Like, and it was a long time after, the, after they stopped uh, uh, taping that scene um, that he continued. And, oh, by the way, this episode is also directed by – Avery Brooks. Yeah. Probably the most powerful performance of any one character in DS9 um, is in this episode by Avery Brooks. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's moving and it's emotional. And I think an absolutely amazing Star Trek episode. I'm glad you talked about that. That definitely refreshes my memory. I remember that was an incredible, powerful episode. Um, and then for our listeners, if you have not seen it, you definitely should see that episode far beyond the stars. Yeah. And, and you know, Chris, on the podcast, we've talked about doing, you know, at, at some point in, in down the road, doing like feature spotlights of episodes from different shows. Yeah. And I, th- I really do think far beyond the stars would be a great episode to do a focus or a spotlight on to walk through the episode scene by scene. And, and the different lines and stuff that's said in there, and just break it down and talk about how it really, how it's still applicable today, even after all these years. Yeah. It, yes. Absolutely. I, I just think it's such a powerful episode. I think it's worth revisiting in, in a much deeper way than what we're able to do on this episode right now. Yeah, I agree. That would be a so, good, good one. Yeah, and I mean, there's other episodes too in six, season six stand out. I think maybe one of the worst episodes in all of Star Trek is Prophet and Lace, where Quark dresses in drag. I mean, that that episode was just weird. Um, it's kind of know, funny, though. It's funny. <laughs> it is. It is very funny, but it's just it's it's I don't know. It's a bizarre episode. You had Times Orphan, which is another episode where they just put O'Brien through the ringer, where. They lose their daughter Molly through this like some kind of portal and she comes back grown up, but she's been living on her own in the wilderness on this planet, you know, in the past. And and uh, it's it's heartbreaking because she returns. She doesn't really recognize her parents and she's become kind of wild and just she doesn't really speak. And it's a really tough episode to watch if you're a parent. Um, so that, that that that's definitely an O'Brien centric episode to watch. And then Tears of the Prophet. Oh, Chris, th- this is an episode that I continually skip over every time I do a rewatch because and I-, I say it's the worst episode in the show because this is the episode where where Jedzia dies. I should say not Dax dies because the symbiote lives on in Esri, but Jedzia dies and she's killed by a very uh, a, a paw wraith possessed gold ducat. Um, and the way she dies I, I, I dislike it very much. There's a whole backstory as to why they killed her character off before the last season um, that we won't go into now. But it's it's a really hard episode to watch. I love Jed Zia. She's probably my favorite female character in all of Star Trek. Um, and so this this is a tough episode for me to watch. I, I don't know how you felt 
any of the times you've watched this one, but this is a tough one to watch. Yeah, it was absolutely tough to watch. And it was very abrupt. And I, I felt, I, yeah, I guess it was, it was very abrupt, like hard and harsh, difficult to get over. And I know you're right. There's, there's plenty of backstory on it. Um, but it was just, a, I didn't expect if the character of Jadzia was going to die, that I would have been in such a manner, you know, that, that I was, but this is how it came out. Yeah. I just, I don't feel like that was the death. If they were going to kill off our character, that that was the death she deserved. Yeah. I felt like there would have been a better way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It was like a, um, like a Tasha, Yar, Tasha Yar feeling. Does that make well, sense? Okay. So, I mean, she at least she's killed by a, a significant villain, right? Tasha was killed by some random gooey oil monster on some random planet. So, if we're talking about worst worst death scenes for a main Star Trek character, I'm I'm still giving it to Tasha, but it doesn't mean I like Jedzia's death scene anymore. Yeah. And... So, yeah. Okay. So season six, the the Dominion War is full bore. The Federation is getting the crap kicked out of them. It, it, things are going south. There's lots of stuff going on, lots of character development, as usual. Then we move into Season 7, the final season of D-Space 9. And uh, Chris, what are some of the episodes in this season that, that are really um, impactful to you or ones that really stand out for you? Well, one that stands out to me again, and, and again, the, these ones that stand out to me are not necessarily tied into the the main story arc but are are just kind of different but you remember the one where uh they play the vulcan starship crew to a game of baseball in the hollow suite <laughs> yes one of the most fun episodes in the entire show it was fun it was so fun seeing a bunch of vulcans in baseball uniforms playing and uh as i recall it was a big deal for for Sis, captain cisco to have his team ready so that they could you know, be ready to play these guys. And um, didn't he have a, uh, Cisco had kind of had a antagonistic relationship with the Vulcan captain. Yeah. They had some history together. Yeah. Uh, they, they did not get along. They didn't like each other. And they had a little history that made, it's what made the game actually happen. Right. Like yeah. it was this like kind of challenge between the two and Cisco is like, we're going to beat these guys, you know, and everything. And yet, none of his people other than him and Jake knew how to play baseball. So, <laughs> yeah, I think there were some funny montages where they were learning where his, his team was learning how to play baseball. So that, that was great. Um, but it, as we know, captain Cisco is, he is a competitive man. So he, if, if he's got some problems with someone, you know, he wants to, he, he's going to be as competitive as possible so he can win. That's yeah. That's true. I, yeah. I agree with you. Real quick, Chris, before we move on to season, uh, any more in Season 7, can we yeah. just go back? I forgot. I just wanted to very briefly mention the episode in Season 6 called For the Uniform because there's a really interesting story arc that I really enjoyed in DS9. The story arc with Michael Eddington, right, who was considered a traitor by, by Cisco. And For the Uniform is, I believe, the last episode in that story arc where Cisco is, like, full-on, like— you know, Captain Ahab and the White Whale, like, 
full of rage and revenge. He is hell-bent on trying to get bring Eddington into justice because he has betrayed the uniform, right? Because Eddington's going to fight with the, for the Maquis. Yes. And he, and he literally um, uh, fools Cisco. And Cisco, the, mo- the thing Cisco's most upset about is that he, he didn't see it. He's the, he's the commander. He's the captain. He's supposed to recognize these things and know his people well enough. And, he, and Michael Eddington literally pulls a sheet over his eyes, and he doesn't catch it. Um, I do think it's one of the best episodes of season six, and there's lots of them. But this is kind of bringing to head, like we mentioned at the beginning of our episode, it's bringing to head, excuse me, one of many story arcs that happen in DS9 as the show begins to wind down. Right. So that was a really good episode. I didn't want I didn't want to uh, pass that on because we had really hadn't talked much about Michael Eddington in the previous episodes, and I want to make sure he mentioned that because I think you know he plays a. He plays a, a decent little role in, in the series. Um, anyway, so please continue. Other, other episodes for you that, that uh, you thought stood out in Season 7? Yeah. Well, actually, if it's okay, there, there was one I was thinking about from Season 6 that I hadn't mentioned before either. Um, but this was an interesting one. It was on those genetically engineered uh, people that Bashir has a relationship with with it's the name of the episode was statistical probabilities oh yeah yep. yeah yeah but this is just to illustrate like how in bad a shape the federation was because i think they they kind of created this environment where these genetically engineered people were were helping as a think tank and they they were trying to think through different scenarios of the federation and i think what they recommended, if I recall correctly, what they ended up recommending was, oh, we should surrender. Something like that. Uh, but but a really interesting episode and seeing um, Bashir's kind of interaction with them uh, was was really, really uh, good to see. So if if I was co- if I'm correct, it was some sort of recommendation like that on, oh, yeah, we should surrender. And then Bashir takes that recommendation up. And that doesn't go well for Bashir, if I recall correctly. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, but season seven. Oh, this is, it doesn't, definitely starts to get interesting. Season seven is where <laughs> Gold, Gold Ducat, right? He does that transformation and he has that procedure so that he can look Bajoran. And then we, yeah. have, then we have several several episodes where we go throughout kind of that arc. Um, and he, he makes himself look Bajoran. He gets very close, closer to Kai Wen, Um, and Kai Wen doesn't know he's, he's a uh, gold of course. Uh, but, but his goal is to, you know, manip- manipulate Kai Wen and kind of understand all the, the secrets uh, of of the prophets and get in there. So I believe that started in in the episode Strange Bedfellows, if I'm remembering that correctly. So that stood out to me because when when Gold Ducat kind of makes that transformation and looks Bajoran, they do a really good job because he is just creepy, very creepy as as, as a as a Bajoran, and and then and the way he's able to manipulate. You know, Kai Wen is thinking, oh, you just get, you just feel cringy and creepy. So he did a really good job with that. Yeah. I mean, 
th- that word manipulate and Goldicott came to seem to keep coming up mm-hmm. yeah. every time we talk about him because he is he, he's a master manipulator. And but think about two Kai Win, right? It's almost like they deserved each other, right? Because Kai Win throughout the series, I mean, she's not she does not think of what's best for Bajor. She may say she does, and she may say, Oh, well. My child. She always liked to call people my child, especially Kira, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my child, the prophets and this. Tried to come across because the the Kai is the religious leader of Bajor, right? She is the head, the top religious leader. She's like the equivalent of the Pope for ba- for Bajorans, right? right? She is the top religious leader and advisor to the Bajoran government. And so she has a lot of say in pull, and she uses that power to manipulate people for her benefit, for her good, even though she's saying, oh, it's the will of the prophets and blah, blah, blah. Well, she's a master manipulator just like Goldicott, so I kind of think they deserved each other. Yeah, yeah, they definitely did. For yeah. sure. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, that's, a, that's a very interesting story arc, right? I don't remember if they say this line in the show, but for some reason this is coming up in my head. But if you think about it, Goldicott, alters his look to become to look like Bajoran, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that concept of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh yeah. That's how I kind of think of it. So yeah. We get more don't we get in season 7? I don't remember if he was in season 6 or not, but we get a lot more of Vic Fontaine in the holodeck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Vic Vic Fontaine's really huge in season 7. You're right. I don't remember if he's in season six, but he, but if not, he definitely is in season seven. Yeah. I want to say he's only in season seven, but I could be wrong. Just off the top of my head. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. But you get Nog. Um, what, one of the episodes, you know, we know Nog, Nog goes through some, some bad times with, um, and he, lo- he loses his leg in battle. Yep. Um, and so he's going through like some heavy PTSD and, um, and, you know, a- after that, in one of the Vic Fontaine holodeck episodes, we see Nog kind of really lose himself in the holodeck program, if, if I'm rem- remembering that right. And so Vic, Vic Fontaine as a holodeck character, you know, actually helps Nog kind of re- mentally recover, kind of get, get out of that funk and get out of that place that he was in. So those were the the episodes with Vic Fontaine were a lot of fun. Vic Fontaine was just such a likable character, you know, just this, yeah. this nice guy, this singer, this club um, club singer that, that uh, everyone liked him. And so when they go on those adventures in the holodecks, they were a lot, a lot of fun. So those stood out to me too. Those were great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How about you in season seven? Man, um, season seven's a hard season for me to watch because not not because there aren't a lot of great episodes. There are some incredible episodes. There's so almost every episode is so jam packed full of action. Um, you know all the big battle sequences that take place right in in the war, uh, and the war's coming to a head, and and the show's obviously winding down its final final season. Um, you know, obviously the the season seven premiere, which was uh, Image in the Sand, is is the first episode of the season. And that's a, a, a part one of a two-part kind of season premiere. We meet Ezri Dax for the first time. Uh, you know, the follow-on to Jet Zia. Ezri's the one that, that um, takes on the Dax symbiote. 
Yeah. Um, and, and you see Worf struggling really, really hard with Jadzia's death. Really hard. Cisco's trying to get in contact with the prophets because he's lost touch with them. Um, and, and Worf's really struggling with Jadzia's death. We bring in Ezri, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with Ezri because she reminds the, the Dax symbiote obviously reminds him too much of Jadzia and everything. Um that's a real. It's a tough episode to watch for 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 from a Worf's perspective, and obviously the the memory of Jadzia, um, the siege of AR five five eight. It's one of the most emotional episodes I can think of in DS nine, other than Far Beyond the Stars, because this episode deals a lot with the the um, the fallout from war, the ugliness of war. Um, Nog losing his leg in battle, and like like you mentioned, Chris, him him struggling really heavily with PTSD, and and you know the fact that he he doesn't feel like he 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 fits in with his life anymore, right? So much has changed, right? And then that that kind of that follow on with the episode, it's only a paper moon, which is what you talked about, where he spends a lot of time with with Vic Fontaine trying to get you know advice, and and Vic Fontaine has always got great advice to hand out, and he's trying to help. Here's this holodeck character, right, trying to help Nog cope with the horrors and the memories of that of that battle in which he inflicted that injury. Yeah. Um. And, and it's it, the the siege of AR five five eight, and it, and it's only a paper moon or two really powerful episodes to remind us of what so many of our our military members go through when they go off to war, right? And those that do return. Um, don't always come back whole. Even if they don't sustain injuries, maybe mentally they don't come back whole. Some come back with sustained injuries. And, and so it's a really important episode to realize that people out there are struggling mentally, right? Yeah. And in today's world, mental health, PTSD, all those things are very, very real. Uh, and, and you know, we, we, we've talked in the past about how COVID kind of shined a, kind of shined a light on that. Um, th- those are very real things people are struggling with th- these days. And I think those episodes... Even though they're they're you know they were written back in the '90s, uh, are really powerful in today's world, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. So, so th- those are two really big episodes for me. Um, Inner Inter Arma Enem Silent Legus is a kind of a strange name, but we we and we haven't really talked about him before. But Luther Sloan, right? Section Thirty One, D Space Nine established Section Thirty One which was then carried on in Enterprise. We've seen it in Discovery, and it's awesome. Awesome in the sense of, like, the, 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 the concept. Um, so Bashir is, is, is recruited by Sloan to help, um, help Section 31 uh, with some stuff with the Romulans, and then we think that Sloan is killed during this event, or is he? And then he shows up in, at the very end of the episode in Bashir's bedroom again, and he's like, I thought you were dead and everything. And it's 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 a it's a good episode. I think it's the last episode we see Sloan, played by a great actor, William Sadler, who's been in a million things to include Die Hard 2 and other stuff. Yeah. Um The Dogs of War is a great episode. Uh you're you're seeing Kira trying to urge Damar after Goldacox disappeared. You're and Damar's kind of risen up to be the new leader of the Kardashian Kardashian. Kardashian. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I need to lose my Trekkie card for saying that. I meant Cardassian. That did not come out right. Um, I, I need to turn in my Trekkie card. <laughs> but uh, uh, Kira's urging Damar, the leader of the Cardassian, 
militia, because that's I got those tongue-tied there, or Cardassian Union, what's left of it, right, to rally the peace people to help the Federation in this final showdown fight with the Dominion. And she's successful. Damar rises up and actually becomes, from, from being Goldicott's lackey to becoming, you know, the leader of the Cardassian military is pretty significant. Um, and then, of course, the, the final episode, what we leave behind, uh, it... I'm not crying, Chris. You're crying, all right? I, I, <laughs> I can never I can never watch this episode without crying because I know it makes me sound sappy, but I love DS9 so much. And, and when you realize and you watch that episode, and of course it's the final one, so you realize there, there's no more episodes after this. It's over. you know. And you see at the very end there, you see you know, Cisco goes off to the prophets. Cassidy Yates uh, is pregnant with his child who's going to be Jake's you know, uh, sibling. Yeah. And and you see Kira standing there on the at on the observation deck with Nog looking out at the wormhole, thinking about his dad. Uh, it just it, it makes my allergies act up, and they start flaring real bad, and my eyes start getting watery, and then that happened. Anyways, that that episode had the it was kind of a beautiful. Um, they're in the cl- in the hollow deck in the club, right? With the club. yep. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was special. Yeah, they all they all get together before before Cisco goes off to the prophets. Um, you know, and of course, I don't remember. But it's, I think it's the final episode as well, where where Kira says goodbye to Odo uh, yeah. at the at the Great Link. Um, th- th- there's just so much, right? They're they're ending the show. They're ending all these story arcs and these relationships. You knew Kira and Odo's relationship had to end. Um, I mean, of course, we all, I think we all wanted it to continue, uh, but you know that kind of had to end, and so. There's just so much, right? Uh, as as a parent, right? I think about my son and like, you know, what happens if something happened to me, right? And he had to say goodbye, and that just oh, digs deep into me. So, um, yeah, it's the end of DS Nine, and yeah. D Space Nine ends. Obviously, DS Nine does live on in the books. There's some amazing, amazing post show books that take place right after the show ends and and on. Uh, that that are good to read, and we'll have to maybe revisit those sometime. But uh, yeah, that's our overall look at at, at DS9, Chris, um, through the seasons. Let's take a break here real quick. Let's get a word from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. When we come back, let's wrap it up. Let's give our final thoughts on the series. Let's give it a rating. And, uh, you know, let, let's talk about maybe some of the biggest things that stood out to us across the whole, the whole series, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Excellent. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. All right, we're back. And uh, Chris, we've been talking about season six and seven of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're wrapping up our fourth and final part of this overview and overlook of this of this series. Uh, I'm a little sad, Chris. I'm a little bit sad because I, I, I enjoy every single one of these um, episodes we've done. When it comes to the Star Trek we've talked about on this podcast, obviously I have a special place in my heart for D Space Nine, and so I have thoroughly enjoyed our look at this series uh, because I get a chance to talk about D Space Nine. So for me, that's a lot of fun. Yes, yes, and, and we can still look forward to indiv- individually talking about uh, many of these individual excellent episodes throughout the show too. That's true. That's true. We're not done, but we're done with this particular look at it but you know as a whole right we, we we've looked at all six all seven seasons 
We have uh, had, we've talked with Doug Drexler, who worked on D Space Nine. We've talked with Caitlin Hopkins, who appeared in D Space Nine. We've we've looked at a lot of different things. We've talked about a lot of characters, a lot of story arcs, a lot of episodes. What are some just overall broad themes, overall um, general uh, concepts, ideas? characters and all that stuff that really stood out to you the most as we went back and looked over this series this would be a major one i think and this really uh, this this really does tie into what the original show creators wanted to do which is be completely different be boldly different and it does it does um kind of stray away even from what gene roddenberry was was thinking too because i in 1991, um, there was an interview with Gene Roddenberry about Star Trek and the place of religion in Star Trek. You know, and at, at that time, um, in Gene Roddenberry's view, was you know religion not having a very big part in Star Trek. You know, and and, and in fact, you know the original series in Toss. Uh, some of those episodes uh, where they where they kind of introduce god figures or deity figures they're always trying to find you know what was the reason reasoning behind that or there's some kind of explanation or justification behind that deep space 9 i think a major theme of deep deep space 9 is the faith of the bajoran people and it is huge um, and i think that was a very, very different thing that, that Deep Space Nine brought in in a caring and respectfully, respectful way. Faith, you know, in particular with, with Major Kira, and she's always meditating or, or, or praying, was a huge part of her as a character. So indeed, you know, when I think about that theme, that was wonderful that, that they had that because you get to see people that they have faith like as a big part of their culture and a big part of their lifestyle but that was alongside you know uh, other people and other members of the federation and other people that they they, they worked with so very well done very uh respectful i think and then and then i thought very well done that that they brought the idea of um because star trek's always often star trek's always kind of looking for when we think something is um, miraculous or we, we think something has no explanation, Star Trek kind of a lot of, a lot of the episodes looks for, Oh, well, there's some gotta be maybe some sort of um, intelligence behind that or scientific explanation behind that. But in, in deep space nine, I think there was a very well balanced part of, well, you know, not, necessarily there's still this unknown part of yeah you may be seeking for that explanation but the idea of people having faith in their beliefs still exists very relevantly like alongside that so that was a huge theme for me in ds9 and something i really respect about ds9 the the characters in ds9 I felt all of them had a wonderful chance to fulfill their arc and to to actualize 
you see you see Jake uh, become a young man. You see Jake's father, Captain Cisco. You know he starts the show as uh, someone that had recently lost lost his wife, but then at the end, you know he becomes a husband again, and he'll be another father. And you see him like evolve and come around that that full circle. All of these characters learn so much about themselves. Bashir does certainly. Right? He's he's dealing with. Uh, I mean, he's he's a brilliant doctor, but behind that, he's got all of this um, guilt. I would say, from knowing that he is genetically engineered, but he understands at the end that um, he's he's worthy of, of, of friendship from O'Brien right and so I think that 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 was a beautiful thing for for Bashir Worf certainly fulfills his arc and um, that you know he he gets very close and he marries like Jadzia so he has this beautiful arc with her and this catharsis like at the end where you know he eventually loses Jadzia but um, he has to deal with and, and get through that you know all of these characters get to explore so much about themselves and you see it through the show you know Od Odo is searching for like meaning in where does he come from who were who who were his people and in, in a way, Odo is searching for identity too. But at, at the end, at the end of the season, you know, he realizes well, his identity was always there. He was seeking maybe an ident identity that he thought like he was yearning for, he thought he needed, but his identity was, you know, always within himself. You know, the, the, the founders weren't maybe what he thought they were did not have all the the good intentions that they, they they thought he thought they should have but so that's 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 something uh, um that he realizes and and comes to term with the even you know the the villains and how they get flushed out like in the show even when we talk about the um the vorta you know they they've got so many different kind of of layers, you know, the Vorta are just, uh, they're just trying to serve with, with complete like devotion, the founders, uh, but their, their complete devotion allows them to do like so many nefarious and unethical things. But in the mind of the Vorta, uh, they're doing all of these things right because they've got such faith in devotion and the founders and they believe that the founders, you know, help helped uh, with the Vorta's salvation. The villains like, you know, Gold, Gold Dukat are, are so flushed out. You have feelings for him indeed, because you know, he's, he's a father. Um, you kind of can see that he, he's trying to do things, um, that he believes are right, but it's just so twisted and, 
and 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 off um but you do feel for uh gold gold ducat and you you do strongly like uh dislike him for all of the the villainous villainous things that that he does but even the other Cardassians, like like Damar, even those minor minor characters, like are flushed out. Damar even goes through, like, a good arc because he's, like you said, Zach, he's Golducott's, uh, his second in command or or his or his lackey, but you know he rises to to represent the Cardassian Empire, um, but Damar is ashamed. And you see that shame in him because he's thinking, "Hey, I'm doing the wrong thing by by joining the Dominion." And you know, he reverses that. You know, he's he's he hits his uh, Cardassian alcohol pretty hard, but he eventually kind of turns that around. Good old Canar. The Canar. He turns that around, and he reverses it. And at the end, you know, even though he, he dies he redeems himself. And so he can be, he can have that redemption. So I really respect that DS9 is able to fulfill and complete the actualization of, of all of its characters and take it, take its time uh, in being able to do that and explore these these great themes of religion explore these themes of family, you know, because you had this father son relationship with Cisco and Jake, Jake, you got to explore uh, more family with O'Brien, Keiko and Molly. And you got to see um, people become much more developed throughout the show. Even Derek, right? You you have his arc, and you have Quark's arc, and you, just plain simple Garrick. Just plain simple Garrick, right? <laughs> right. He's just a tailor. That's all. Yeah, and so they're able to in DS Nine, they are able to layer these characters multi-dimensionally, right? Because because Garrick, you can you can have reasons to like really to dislike Garrick, but, but Garrick has, uh, he's got all this back story, all of this back history, all of where he was a, a co covert operative for the Cardassians. And Garrick does some incredibly like heroic things, um, for the, for the Federation and, and, and Quark, you know, at, at his heart, uh, Quark is a a good Ferengi, right? <laughs> right? That that <laughs> yeah. he, he is he is trying to be a good good Ferengi the whole whole time, um, but you see his his love for his family, um, you know, and Quark's bro brother Rom and and Nog, and you you get to see all of these kind of wonderful wonderful things, even Nog's little his arc of wanting to join the Federation and how Rom and Quark kind of view that and the cycle and the circle of, of how that goes and, and their, 
acceptance of Nog and their great pride of Nog. So that was, you know, that, that was beautiful. So a lot of, um, a lot of great things in, in DS9, um, that are, I've talked a lot about the characters, but there's just, there's great, um, just sequences and campaigns and conflict in there. And you've got these conflicts with the, the Klingons, the, the conflict and campaigns with what's with, with what is happening with the Romulan empire, this, this just huge backdrop of all of these activities that had to be woven together by the, the show creators was um, a terrific and incredible job that they did. And the, the amount of time that they can spend, you know, you mentioned like in the, in the pale moonlight episode, the amount of time that they can spend kind of analyzing um, Cisco's leadership decisions um, and being able to, to ex ex explore that from a personal perspective. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, I'm sorry. A lot of great things I, I have to say, like, like uh, about it. I'll try not to go too much in the in the weeds. Zach. No, it's you're yeah. you're spot on. You're spot yeah. on, Chris. Yeah. So I'm curious on on you too. Like I I know you love you love the show. Um, what you know? What are some of your thoughts? Well, I don't know if we have time for my thoughts <laughs> because I could take forever. No. Um, I kind of want to just break it down into a, a couple of overarching things here. First of all, we've hit really hard and for good reason on, on character evolution, character development, right? That that's been a theme throughout this series as we've talked all the way from our first episode when we kind of overviewed the show and then talked with Doug all the way through the different seasons we looked at even to right now. Um, you know, pe people complain they did complain back in the day, and they still complain that DS9. Well, they didn't, they didn't go anywhere, right? They just had a station. They didn't go anywhere. Well, first of all, they did go plenty of places. Mm -hmm. um, they went into a whole other sector, a whole other quadrant, excuse me, of the galaxy all the time. But did they go as many places as Voyager and TNG and Toss and Enterprise or Discovery? Or Strange New Worlds or Picard. No, they didn't. Okay. But I'm okay with that. And the reason is because I I will continue to beat the drum for this for D Space Nine. And I think as streaming services became available and as DS9 was on streaming services like Netflix, and I believe it's actually coming off of Netflix on July 1st. So it will be going exclusively to Paramount Plus with the rest of the Star Trek shows. I believe it's the only Star Trek series left on Netflix. So whatever reason they're licensing there it's it's it leaves july 1st so if you have netflix and you don't have paramount plus between now and july 1st is your chance to watch ds9 before it leaves netflix um that being said i will continue to beat the drum that's that d space 9 has the best character development of any star trek series hands down and it's not even close because the writers and the showrunner iris steven bear they were able to it, then the producers were able to take this series that's based on a space station and take those episodes to really, really 
draw down into every single character. And you may, may brought up some really good points, Chris, when you mentioned about the the each of the the, the characters story arcs being concluded right and and the overall evolution of those characters so without beating a dead horse here the character development in this series is unmatched to any of the other star trek series it's just that good and and i think because they weren't in a spaceship flying around the galaxy they had those opportunities to um spend that time on character development and I think that's what made the show so incredible because when the show ends and every time I watch through the series and every time the show ends, I'm so saddened because you come to love these characters. You grow. I, 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 I grew so attached to these characters, every single one of them, as opposed to like Discovery where I could care less about almost every character, maybe Saru. <laughs> I like Saru. And I do like some of the characters, but but I'm not attached to them in the same way I am with Deep Space Nine. So that's big. To me, friendship really stands out in the show. Other shows, yes, they have their friendships. But the friendships in this show were so deep, were so heartfelt, were so um, emotionally tied together. I think more than the other series. You had Kira and Odo, which was more than a friendship. But at the end of the day, they were best of friends. O'Brien and Bashir, who, in my opinion, have the best friendship in the entire Star Trek franchise. Their friendship is amazing. It's it's so authentic. It's genuine. It's that it's a friendship that's relatable. Um, Dax and Cisco, right? The old man and everything. You know that 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 friendship that they had dating back to Curzon and everything was important. Jake and Nog's friendship from kind of the very beginning of the show. They become friends because they're similar age. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Odo and Quark? Do they have a friendship? Uh, love-hate kind of friendship. But by the end of the series, they, they kind of do have a friendship. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a unique one. Um, Garrick and Bashir, do they have a bit of a friendship? Do, I mean, just because they meet and have lunch together, is that a friend? I mean, you could argue they have a friendship. Yeah. Um, you know, so the friendship to me is at the forefront in this series um, and, and what they do for each other as friends and as as, as crew members. Uh, character evolution for sure. Redemption. There's a lot of redemptive stories. You mentioned re- just recently, Chris, um, uh, the redemptive story of Damar. Yeah. Right? He went from a drunken uh, – a, a, a drunk um, soldier – and and the 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 right wing lackey to to Goldicott to be to rising up to becoming the leader and bringing the Cardassians back into the forefront and and I think in in what he did for the Cardassian Union um, through this this uh, war can't be misunder misrepresented um, right. or 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 or, or uh, uh, understated anyway. Um, DS Nine also brought us so many mainstay species and characters that went on to appear in other series uh, of Star Trek, right? The Ferengi. Now, the Bajorans weren't – and the Ferengi weren't new. The Bajorans weren't new because we met them in TNG. Mm-hmm. But you didn't know a lot about either one of those going into DS9. DS9 flushed a lot of that out, right? Um Th- those are pretty important. Uh, the Cardassians got more flushed out than the few episodes that they appeared in in TNG. Um, and you got all the backstory, a lot of their history and that kind of stuff. 
um, there were a lot of characters and a lot of species that, again, became mainstays in Star Trek as a result of Deep Space Nine and what it did. So, yeah, I, I think you you put you got a lot of good a lot of good points that you made in there, Chris. The father son relationship with Cisco to me, as a, as a father myself, is really important because I feel like out of all of the captains that we've had in Star Trek, Cisco is the most relatable mm-hmm. because of that. Right, right. He has a son. He had a wife who was killed at the Battle of Wolf three five nine. He gets married again. He get Cassidy Yates. And and she has she's with child when he passes when he goes on to the not passes away but he, when he goes on to be with the prophets so he's a father again it's very relatable none of the other captains have that they're all single careerists who don't have families I mean they have families but not like you know spouses and kids and stuff you know what I mean yeah so and then and then of course maybe the top of it all the cream de la cream the cherry on top of the, the show. Is the fact that it has my favorite character in the entire franchise, Chief Miles O'Brien. Uh, I love that man. I love that character. Um, he's also incredibly relatable. A lot of the characters are relatable. I feel like you know, and even bringing on new new characters to the show. Not, I mean, I mean, Worf wasn't a new character, but he was new to the show, and they brought him in in season four, and then bring and then that that huge shakeup where they get rid of Jed Z and bring in Ezri. Um, the, those are significant, and yet they still were able to seamlessly mold them in to the show and be part of the cruise. You know, it took almost half of the seventh season for Ezri to really become a part of the crew. Yeah, but they 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 just so they did just an amazing job. I think the best writers in Star Trek were on D Space Nine. Um, I know I'm 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 biased when it comes to the show because of how much I love it, but. Uh, yeah, those are kind of my overall thoughts, Chris. I, you probably kind of had an idea some of that stuff was coming, um, just based on our discussions we've had in 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 the past and and my expressive love for the show. And I hope that those of you who are listening, as we've talked over this series, um, the, the these four episodes we've done on our podcast, that if you haven't watched Deep Space Nine, that it will encourage you to go watch it, or if you have watched it. Maybe it'll it'll reignite your passion for the show. That it will reignite you to want to go back and watch through it again, and really be watching out for the things that maybe you missed the previous time you watched it. That, that's that's kind of my hope uh, as we wrap up uh, this episode. Um, but Chris, we would be remiss if we didn't rate this series, right? Um, I know we didn't rate Toss or, or TNG because we weren't doing our rating system yet, and maybe we'll go back and do that. But for now, on a scale of one to five, com badges being one being uh walking over hot coals barefooted <laughs> while being chased by a bear which oh. which you know could be a real thing depending on where you live uh or five being like eating chocolate chip cookie dough and it never making you sick uh what would you rate this series on a scale of one to five com badges yeah ds9 for me is definitely no hesitation it's five out of five combat com badges i have a great deal of uh, admiration, uh, and, um, yeah, and, and love for the show. It was, it was terrific. So I really, really respect it, admire it and have a, a fond place in my heart for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So you got it five out of five, but what, what's yours? I have a feeling uh, now we've got a scale one to five com badges. Do I have to stick to that scale or can I, I can I go over? <laughs> I think you, 
you're gonna be you're gonna be you may be off the scale which is okay. uh yeah you know have you heard the term like off the richter scale you know the richter scale which measures earthquakes and everything um uh, okay so if i could rate it a 10 out of 5 combat just i'd rate it a 10 <laughs> out of 5 nice um but we can still be friends chris because i you rated a 5 out of 5 no i'm just kidding oh. um so yeah, I, I'm hands down. I'm a five out of five, and like I said, if I could go over five, I would. It, it's to me, it's the best written show in Star Trek. It has the best character development in Star Trek. Um, it th there, there's just so many amazing things to love about it. I think also it broke the mold of Star Trek, right? Because Toss and TNG were very similar, right? They had a very, they were very unique in the way they were way they, they were written, because uh, of course, Envision by Gene Roddenberry, DS Nine went off the tracks a bit. It took it took the road less traveled on the at the fork in the road, right? Yeah. It was different. It dared to be different and they did it right. And Ira Stephen Bear, who was a showrunner, and Michael Pillar and Rick Berman, who were the uh, executive producers for the series, and the writers, I mean it top to bottom, front to back. There there were only a couple of episodes that I wasn't really a fan of. The biggest one being Jadzia dying, but I know why they had to do that. Um, but all in all, I, I just I don't find myself watching the show going, uh, I'm going to skip this episode. Oh, I'm going to skip this one. Oh, I'm going to skip this one. I can do that with our shows. I can do that with Voyager sometimes. There, there, are, there are several Voyager episodes where I'm like, meh, you know, I, I could take it or leave it. There's a lot of great episodes of Voyager. But um, with DS9, uh, it, it's, it, it's hard to, to find many that I'm, that I'm not a fan of. Um, and, and there are some powerful episodes ones we just mentioned in season six specifically uh far beyond the stars and siege of the siege of ar 558 um you know there's so many uh, uh yeah uh, there's so many great episodes powerful episodes things that that make deep space nine truly star trek in the way it approaches telling stories uh, challenging social norms, talking about hard, you know, difficult topics to discuss and making you think and making you think, you know, oh, oh, what would I have done, right? Well, what's my thought and viewpoint on this? How could I be better as a human being, right? Um, I, I think it does all of that and more. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's going to be really hard for Star Trek to ever top Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, it, it really is strange new worlds is pretty dang good i'm not gonna lie though i'm loving me some strange new worlds but d space nine man and, and tng of course i have a, such an amazing love for that but but ds9 is just um yeah it's it's tough man it, it's i don't think it's gonna be top for me personally but yeah i i do like, like i feel similarly to you about strange new worlds as I, I i really do like strange new worlds but i would see it um the the way Strange New Worlds is, and uh, I I see it having a hard time getting as deep as DS Nine was able to get as deep in. You know, DS Nine could take all these topics and go multi layered deep. You know, whether 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 it was a topic of just character development to a topic of uh, you know conflict between races or conflict between the alpha and, and gamma quadrant. And it was able to take those topics and just go very, very deep, multi-layered, 
multi-dimensioned. So I would, I don't know. Yeah. As much as I love or like and enjoying Strange New Worlds, I, I think it would be difficult to get to that par that DS9 was able to do. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, TNG for for what it was, I mean, it was still a new adventure every week for the most part, like, like Toss. Char- it, there was some really good character development in TNG. K- TNG still did a lot of good character development. And, and we've talked about this before, right? But DS9 and, and, and TNG are, are 1A, 1B for me, right? Yeah. TNG is very close. I grew up on TNG. I didn't watch DS9 as much when it was initially on as I did TNG. Uh, so TNG has a special place in, in my heart. Uh, but but when I finally got a chance to watch DS9 beginning to end decades ago, um, I, I was in love with it, and, and I still am to this day. And uh, yeah, it's 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 different. It was DS9 was ahead of its time, right? It 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 got away from being mo- more episodic and got into this the way things are done now with this continual story arc and this continual perpetual story that that goes on and on and on. Um, so to me, I think that's where. That, that that really captures me in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, Chris, this has been awesome. I, I it, For those of you who are listening, if you haven't caught on to my love and affinity for, for D-Space 9, then you haven't been paying attention. I know, Chris, you really like the show a lot too, and um, I, I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about this uh, because, um, you know, th- this show is, is so great, and I just I can't say enough good things about it. I really can't. Yeah. Totally. It's been awesome talking about it for sure and learning more about it and just exploring all the different kind of dimensions of DS9 has been fantastic. Yeah. And one of the highlights for me is um, I'm so thankful and fortunate and blessed and honored that I was able to go through over the years of going to conventions to be able to meet every single one of the main cast members and then some for D Space Nine. Of course, uh, we've lost a few. Um, in particular, Rene Aubergenois played Odo has passed, passed away a few couple years ago. Um, we lost, uh, Aaron Eisenberg who played Nog. He passed away within the last couple of years. Um, and every Brooks because of his health and being retired and stuff, doesn't do conventions anymore. Has done in a long time. I was really fortunate to meet every single one of them. I have, I have a piece signed by the whole cast that I got myself to be seven years to get because of the timing of stuff. Uh, I'm so fortunate and thankful to have that and blessed to have been able to meet them because the, the show has, has really been a, a, a significant um, in my life. And so um, can't say enough good things about it. That being said, Chris, this is this is it for D Space Nine for now. Uh, coming up on our next episode, guys, be sure to stay tuned because you are not going to want to miss a battle for the ages of our look at what we think may be the greatest two decades for movies in history, the 1980s and the 1990s. Those are the two decades we chose. We believe they're the greatest two decades in, in, cin- in cinema history. The question is, which one do you think is going to be the greatest? We're going to have a poll up. We're going to give you a chance to vote and find out what you think was the greatest uh, decade for movies. That You'll have two options, the 80s or 90s. We're going to right. go head-to-head, right, Chris? We're going to battle for them. And we're gonna make, and we're gonna state our case debate style, eighties and nineties. Well, you'll find out who gets what decade later uh, on the next episode. But it's, it's. I think it's gonna get heated, Chris. I think this could be, this could be our most heated episode yet. I'm pretty sure it will be heated. It's gonna be intense. It, it is because we, we both have our, our cases to make, and uh, we got some research to do. But uh, it's gonna be fun too. I'm looking forward to it. So stay tuned for that episode coming up soon. 
in, in on the podcast, along with other great content coming up. We're still working on getting some more uh, uh, folks on on the uh, on the on the podcast, and we have some hopefully some big names lined up for you guys coming up down the road. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, and as always, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate it. We love our listeners, Chris. They mean the world to us, literally. You, yes, yeah. And uh, we do appreciate all your support. Uh, if you haven't yet, be sure to go to Facebook, go to Discord. Or go to Instagram and look up the Random Red Shirt Podcast. You'll find us there. Be sure to follow us, like us, uh, give us a shout out, whatever you want to do, um, or a rating on whatever your podcast platform is. We much appreciate the uh, the feedback. We love it, and we appreciate you. So stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast. Take care, everybody. <laughs>